Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Hannah. I ask that you keep your text, if you've opened to uh, Exodus chapter 9, keep that text open and go to Colossians chapter 3. Um, before we do that, if you're not aware, Paul and Melinda this last week when we had the storms, uh, what an appropriate passage of Scripture, uh, the storms passed through. Uh, if you're not aware that uh, Paul and Melinda were in their house off Saxon Road and uh, got the full brunt of that storm, lifted the house off its pier and beams, destroyed the massive pine trees around the house, took out the windmill, simply just by the grace of God that didn't even, that you just would have had to have seen it, that, uh, that those uh, pine trees didn't fall on the house, collapse it. There was no fire, there wasn't an explosion, things of that nature, but Paul and Melinda were in the house, uh, devastated. In fact, I had called, I called Paul to check on him, because I didn't. Tammy and I were sitting in the living room watching the light show, like probably many of you were, and uh, just watching it pass. And yet, what, three miles away, one house, and then uh, Mark has a, a, a barn facility there on his place as well, that the storm hit Paul and Melinda's house, took it off the pair and beams, destroyed all the pine trees, windmill around there, then jumped over to the barn facility it took the doors off that and a parcel of the roof and where Paul has some or Mark has some offices it was just devastating then to go out and see it but when I had called and uh, actually when I was able to get through Paul was telling me this and having known Paul for 40 uh, I think 48 years 49 years now I thought he was joking and he wasn't and uh, and so it, it was uh, it was I, I hate using the word devastating but it was certainly fearful and destructive. And uh, so I just share that with you because Paul and Melinda did come out unscathed, which to me, it, personally, it's miraculous. I mean, you would have to just see it. And I know they believe that. And I know that uh, uh, they understand that they were preserved for the grace of God. And so I just ask that you be in prayer. If you weren't aware of that, be in prayer. I will tell you that it was a blessing uh, of course, the EMTs, the first responders, the news was out there. They interviewed Paula Melinda, and I, I was uh, privy to the young ladies that were doing the newscast and reporting on it. Uh, I heard exactly what they said, and I don't, I don't know if they shared this with Paula Melinda, but they said uh, privately. I was standing right next to them, and they were just amazed at. Uh, the response of Paula Melinda. And they, they said, you know, we just don't see that. We don't hear that. That and I don't I don't want to rephrase all that, but the point is is that in the midst of that, uh Paula Melinda were just being Christians. That's all. They were just being Christians. They were living by faith and not by sight. And that's if the world needs anything at all, it needs to see Christians, no matter what the circumstances are, living by faith and not by sight. So I wanted you to be aware of that. I have an announcement that uh, from Larry and Jen. We're heading towards Resurrection Sunday. And uh, each year since I've been here, and it may be longer than that, Larry and Jan have put on a Monday-Thursday service, which is, uh, it's been, uh, it's, it certainly has honored God. Uh, each of the years that we've been able to witness it, uh, they're going to 
hold a, uh, a Monday, Thursday service, uh, a practice uh, at 7 p.m. April 14th. That's the practice, right? Or is that when you're going to? The service is at 7 p.m. April 14th. I need to look at the calendar. So the service, will we send out emails and we'll make sure that you get it. But it'll be 7 p.m. April 14th. Uh, it will include a short reader's theater drama. And if you're interested, if you're interested in helping, please contact Jan or Larry. So, uh, again, if you've been able to participate or watch or uh, observe that, it's a blessing. So uh, that's all I have this morning. And I'd ask you to uh, turn to your bulletin for any other news that you have. So Exodus 9, go to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. If then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now go to chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. Uh, verses 9 and 10 in chapter 1 is the thesis statement. It is the foundation uh, for everything that Paul writes to the Colossians, this New Testament church. Uh, this is the statement then will launch all of the theology, the doctrine, the instruction from Paul uh, that the letter, the problem that the Colossians were having, we talked about that last week, but verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, Paul writes, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul's desire for this first century, this New Testament church, applicable then, certainly applies today, was that God's people, no matter what was going on, the problems they were encountering, the difficulties, the, just the life that they're living as Christians, his desire was for them to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The same uh, for us is true today. Uh, I've often said that the Bible is a cure-all. God's word is a cure-all. You determine what's going on in your life the struggle that you're having in your life, the dynamics that are taking place in your life, the stress that you're experiencing in your life, any difficulty, any, the unknown, you can turn to God's word and you can find the cure-all. You can find the answer. You can find the instruction. You can find the goal. You can find the complete, infallible, irrefutable truth from God's word that will establish this is what you need to know. This is what I need to know. This is what we need to do. This is how it needs to be done. Doesn't matter what the circumstances in your life are. And so that's the thesis statement. And then you get over to the third chapter. Uh, 
he makes this statement. Now, I want us to focus on two, two of the uh, dynamics of this statement. Again, I'll be reading. If you've then been raised with Christ, if you're a Christian, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. And then, verse 2, set your mind on the things above. Cure all. So, we've got people from every walk of life in our congregation this morning. We've got young people. We've got old people. We've got married people. We've got single people. We've we got poor people, probably. We've got rich people, probably. Wealthy people. We've got people in different transitions in their lives. We've got people that are struggling with various and sundry health issues. We've got married couples that are probably fighting. We've got moms and dads that are struggling raising their kids. We've got teenagers that are trying to just figure out how to <laughs> get through the day. If, well, just being teenagers. Um, we got businessmen and businesswomen and professionals, and we got truck drivers. We got we got people looking for jobs. We got people struggling to pay their bills. And you just go on and on. And here's the problem for you and I: if you're a Christian, if you've been, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you're a Christian. The, the single biggest problem that you have is this flesh, your body. The flesh. You're saved, and you now have the Holy Spirit of God, and so the conflict gets worse. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God and you're not saved, your flesh just, it's a struggle, but it's just a continually dying struggle and we're so delusional in our flesh that we just live and then we die. And that's a struggle in and of itself. But, but if you've been saved, if God has raised you up with Christ, he has poured his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. He's justified you. He's saved you. Now you have a Holy Spirit in you and your struggle is lifelong. As the flesh dies... We're struggling with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that's in us. And, uh, and it is, it's a struggle worth having, let me say this. I would far rather be involved in that struggle than anything that I've ever encountered in my life. Um, years ago, when I was in the College of Biblical Studies, Dwight Robards, a great, great expositor of God's Word, preacher, professor, college professor, he, he got in, I have shared this, I know at least once over the years that I've been here now, but he got up in front of, and this text really brought this to uh, uh, the remembrance for me, but he got up in front of a class of uh, individuals who were all studying to become preachers, missionaries, involved in ministry, and he just uh, out said, he said, to the class, he said, why do I preach? Why do I preach? He's a great preacher. And then he starts, as though he's talking to himself, talking about the journey of his life that would lead him to preaching, and he's just speaking as though we weren't there. Why do I preach? Because for Dwight, 
He could have taken many other paths in his life. Highly educated, great family, had, had many opportunities athletically and in business, but he, he was called to preach, and he was a preacher, and a fabulous preacher. You should probably, you ought to Google Dwight Robarts and go listen to some of his sermons. Just, a, just an outstanding expositor of God's Word. But so we're listening to him. And then he stops, and, and uh, he says, why do you preach? I know there's about 15 of us in the class. Why do you, why do you, we're all working on a degree in College of Biblical Studies. So why do you preach? And we all had to give an answer. I was the oldest guy in the class. I believe I was 34, 35 years old. The rest of them were probably in their mid-20s, early to mid-20s. And we all had to give an answer. Why do you preach? Why do you want to preach? Why do you, what are you going to preach? And we all gave our answers. Uh, looking back, for me personally, I felt like my, my uh, answer, this is just personal, I felt like it was a foolish answer. In light of, it was where I was at, and it was certainly from my heart, but I think, oh, Rogers, <laughs> you're just a moron. Amen? But then he went on to say, why do I preach? And he went on to tell a story of something that was happening in his church where he was the preacher. I'm not going to go into the details. It was very personal. It didn't involve him. It involved a, a couple in their church. It was a marriage that was falling apart. Very graphic. He was the pastor that was, you know, he was their pastor, and he was involved in the counseling. And uh, it did involve his church secretary, and the, one of the, and the husband was a deacon, and Divorce was imminent, and it was affecting the whole church. This is the church secretary, this is the deacon, a deacon. Why do I preach? And then he went on to talk about <laughs> the power of God, the truth of his word. And and then he said, let me tell you why I preach. He says, I preach because it's a place. It's a place that you get to be. If that's your calling, you get to be there. And you get to see, and I'll never, as long as I'm living, you know, I would be on the other side of eternity. I would not have reason to forgive the, forget this. But he said, it's a place where you get to see the heavenly, everything that's above, collide with the worldly, the earthly. You get to see the curtains of heaven open and you get to see a collision between everything that is above with everything that is below. And they, they collide. And the heavenly wins. So when Paul's writing to Colossians and he says, hey, my, listen, here's what I want for you. I know what your problem is. You got a problem and I'm, he talks about the problem. But so what I want for you is I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And he goes through, as he writes the rest of the letter, he gets to this point and he says, now, here's what's got to happen in your life, church. He said, you and I, if we've been raised up, we've got to seek the things above and we've got to set our minds on the things above, back to the, back to the conflict. 
Now, I'm going to challenge you. The Scripture challenged the Colossians. The Scripture challenges you and I. Do an assessment. I put in your hand that. Examine yourself. For time's sakes, I'm not going to hope you read those verses. The Bible says that you and I are to examine ourselves. The Bible says that you and I are to be ready in and out of season to give an answer for what we believe. Christians should be examining themselves all the time. Not examining someone else and not examining you or you or you or you, but examining yourself. So my first question is, how often do you examine yourself? How often do you spend your time examining others? Because we're good at that. So examine yourself. Examine yourself in light of what? How much you know about God. The assurance that you have from God. And then that knowledge and that assurance that drives you to bear fruit, to please him. Now just examine yourself from that position. Remove anything else and say, okay, I'm looking at Aubrey Rogers in the mirror. I need the knowledge of God. I want to be filled with the knowledge of God. I want the assurance that comes from being filled with the knowledge of God. I want to please him. I want to bear good fruit. That's what I want to do, okay? And so as I'm examining myself, what's preventing me from doing that? The number one thing that prevents you and I from being filled with the knowledge of God and the assurance that comes from that and the ability to please him and bear good fruits. Number one thing, Pogo has said it. He said, we have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. But the enemy is, it's that struggle between the heavenly and the earthly, the above and the beneath. It really is. In our flesh, all the flesh wants is the below stuff. All the flesh wants is the below stuff. All the flesh wants is me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. What I want, 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 want. You know, the world is a wilderness. They don't want you to hear this. The world is a wilderness of want. The world is a wilderness of want. I mean, just think about all the things we want. And what do they have to do with the full assurance and the knowledge of God? to please him, bearing good fruit. And the struggle is between my flesh and that Holy Spirit. And the cure-all is right here. This is your responsibility, and it's my responsibility. And you and I will have no excuse before God. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. We'll have no excuse per our attitude. That's one. That's not what this morning's sermon's about. But you and only you are responsible for your attitude. No one is responsible for your attitude. If you deny that, you're just delusional. I'd be delusional, you would be. You're only you're responsible for your attitude. And now... Only you and I are responsible for the things that we seek and the things that we set our mind on. We are. And as the flesh is seeking and setting its mind on something, the Spirit of God is in direct conflict with that. Direct conflict with that. It just is. And you and I and only you and I are responsible for what we seek and we set our mind on. 
So we should examine ourselves. So in that Exodus 9, to me, one of the most remarkable, the most remarkable, and maybe that's, it shouldn't be remarkable. It's a truth is in this seventh plague that Paul wrote about, I, I want you to folk, focus on verse 20. It says, the one among the servants of Pharaoh, of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. He read it. I hope you would reread it. But so there were, these are, now remember, these are servants of Pharaoh. You and I have never known a Pharaoh. You've never known one. You just have never known a Pharaoh. The closest thing that we could say was a Pharaoh, and it's not even, it's not even close, is the president of the United States. The, he it's not even close. Pharaoh was, in a, in a sense of, couldn't be, but he had this sense that he was God. He was omnipotent. He answered to no one's. He would do as he pleased and, and with no consequence. You, we don't, we don't, you, if you've lived in America your whole life, you, you don't even, we don't have a concept of king or Pharaoh. Zero, literally, we don't. We've never lived under one. I could only imagine what it would be like to have lived under one. But I imagine it would be a terrifying thing. It would be something that would certainly inspire fear and respect in you. You may not respect, you, you might think that Pharaoh is evil, but you probably wouldn't say it. There wasn't any freedom of speech. And the only Supreme Court was the Pharaoh. And at this point in history, one of the most remarkable things right here, as this is the seventh plague. In the seventh plague, the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But there's the others. They didn't fear the word of the Lord. So before you can seek, before you can set your mind and seek the things that are above, you need to, and you examine yourself. Let me ask you, let's be real honest, church. We ain't got time to play anymore. The world is falling apart. If you don't know that, if you do not know that the world that we live in is falling apart, I, I don't know what else to say to you. I, I, there's nothing I could say to you. This thing is falling apart. It just is. And I don't know the hour, the day, or the time, but it's falling apart. This earth that we live on is destined for flame and destruction. And it's, that day is rapidly approaching. It just is. And, and in order for you and I in our struggle to keep seeking the things above, did you hear that? Keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above. You have to, it's, it's imperative that you fear the word of the Lord. Solomon would write that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't believe it's possible as we examine ourselves 
to seek the things, keep seeking the things above, setting our mind on the things above. I do not believe it's possible unless you, you and I fear the word of the Lord. And I would say one of the single biggest problems in Christianity today is that there are many who call themselves Christian. Many who observe Easter and Christmas. They are Easter, Christmas Christians. and It's easy to say I'm a Christian. For whatever reason a person may say that. But there is this truth that exists. In fact, Jesus would say, there'll be many that say to me, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me, I knew you not. And that individual who has, if then you have been raised up with Christ, there are two things that are happening, many things, but two. That person is the word keep. That means you're already doing it. If you ain't doing it, folks, please start doing it. Start seeking the things above. In Matthew, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says something, and he says it, and I put it in your handout. I want to reflect on just one verse there very quickly. And uh, he writes there, he says, do not, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in or steal. And church, hear this. This is the keep seeking the things. This is the setting your mind on the things above. Here is the reality. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There, that's where your heart is. I don't know what you treasure. Two people do. One for sure does. God knows what you treasure. You should know what you treasure. God does. You should. You may be an oblivious person that just, you know, stumbles through life pursuing whatever it is you think you're going to pursue and you're not really ever done the self-assessment is, you know, I may, I'm probably, that's probably not the right stuff to treasure. May, you may be one of those unfortunate souls. But the reality is, you and I, we ought to examine ourselves and say, okay, in my struggle, what am I, where, what am I seeking? What have I set my mind on? Well, you can answer that because whatever your treasure is, that's what, you, that's what you're setting your mind on. That's what you're seeking. These are, these are difficult truths. But they're important. They're imminent. We can be so indebted to our flesh that we never stop. And Christianity has been sold so many times. The message of Christianity has been a cheap, Cheap sold bill of goods instead of the devastating truth of what it really is. The devastating truth of what it really is is that you're either going to be raised up with Christ or you're not. And what happens here, I saw a great video uh, 
last week, and it was a guy doing an illustration, and he had a rope that you couldn't see the end of. And he was shaking that rope, and it, and it was all, I don't know, the rope may have been 100 yards long, but you couldn't see the end of it. And on the end of that rope, he had a piece of red tape. And he put on the end of that rope that red tape. And he said, now, this rope represents eternity. You can't see the end of it. This red tape represents the 10, 20, maybe you're, maybe you're an infant that dies as maybe you're an individual dies as an infant. Maybe you're one of those folks that lives to be 100 years old. But that red tape on the end of this rope represents your life. Do you see how insignificant from a time span that red tape is to all of eternity? The Bible says our life's a vapor. We're only here for a little while. There are those who fear the word of the Lord and they fear it so much that they understand that something devastating is going to happen. And they're going to set their, do you know what those, those, Pharaoh, those Pharaoh servants were? They had set their mind on the things above. They were now seeking the things above. They, they moved from fearing Pharaoh to fearing the word of the most high God. I'm not sure many professing Christians today fear the word of the Most High God, and I mean that. That's a tough thing to say. And it just simply, where's your treasure? I debated whether I was going to share this with you this morning. I had the opportunity, and I hadn't done it since before Christmas. I had the opportunity to visit with some colleagues, and I call them colleagues, and I I, as I said, I, the last time I visited, there was a couple of guys in particular. So, and again, I always tell you I don't believe in coincidence, but, and I had the opportunity to share this with uh, some folks this week too. Uh, but uh, Abilene Christian University keeps records. You know, I'm sure a lot of private Christian universities do uh, concerning whatever's happening in the world of Christianity from any number of uh, factors. Um, since the beginning of the pandemic nationally in America, contributions are down 40%. I'm not pleading with, oh, you need to give more because I don't do that. Uh, uh, and uh, church attendance is down 40%, right about 40% nationally. That's kind of where we're at. Uh, let's see, the Canterbury's, Tammy and I, we were in Lukenbach or Fredericksburg Friday and Saturday last week. It was beautiful, beautiful um, uh, weather and it was great and uh, we were just enjoying there was crowds there were tens of thousands of people and it cost money to go to Fredericksburg Texas uh, we enjoyed ourselves and it was a, it was a blessing to be able to spend that time in fellowship with them and but I was just watching uh, and I you know Americans they spending money <laughs> they're spending lots of money on lots of stuff, tens of thousands. The wineries are full. Lukenbach was packed. They were having chili cook-off. The stores are the sidewalks. You can't find a place to park. Every restaurant full. Gas is $4 a gallon. Diesel's $5 a gallon. Oh, we ain't panicking, folks, because these out spending money. It's spending lots of money. There's a war over in the Ukraine. The southern border is pretty much wide open. Crime is rising in all the major 
metropolitan urban settings, certainly in the Northeast in America. We're confused over who's a man and who's a woman. We, it's, it's just happening. Males ain't sure they're female or female not sure they're female or whatever it is. I mean, it's, and it's prevalent. It's a part of, I told the youth group this morning, we're doing a study in Ecclesiastes. I, I, listen, when I was in the 70s, growing up in the high school, middle school, I, I don't think I knew a gay person. I ain't here to bash gays, but didn't know one. Didn't hear anything about it. Uh, I was talking to Carolyn Lowry. We were in uh, Bible study this last week. She's been an educator in the public school system. When I was growing up in school, you said the Pledge of Allegiance, and you said the Lord's Prayer every morning. They had it on the intercom. Every teacher I knew had a Bible in their class on the desk. Teachers were not afraid to talk about God and quote Scripture in the public school system. You think that's happening today? Man don't know if he's a man. Woman don't know if he's a woman. Abortion. What is it, six million we've killed now in the last, what, 50, 60 years? This is hard. This is the world you live in. Wars and rumors of war and famine and all these things the Bible said, this is what happens. This is who you are. This is how it works. Earthquakes and famines and wars and rumor of wars. And, and But Jesus also said, and when those last days come, there's going to be people they are going to be marrying and having kids too. Nobody knows, but it's coming. And this is the world we live in. And it's on display. And the church is fully participating in it, or some of the church. Going back to my conversation with the colleagues, they said, so contributions are down, church attendance is down. Two things that are happening that are really encouraging, though, really encouraging. And right here in Little Curtain, Texas, I'm, I'm watching it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. One of the things is pandemic. I was, uh, uh, just bear with me, I was a coach and a Bible teacher at Abilene Christian Schools from 95 to uh, 1995, 2002. Coached football, baseball, taught Bible, middle school, high school. It was a fabulous time in my life. Uh, I saw the emergent. Now, this goes back to treasuring, what you treasure in your heart. Parents, because I'm going to tell you something. We got some kids here this morning. I'm so proud of the families that we have here that have made a commitment. I'm going to be in church, and my kids are going to be in church. Because there's a great temptation between the earthly and the heavenly, the things above and the things below, and how it's creeping into the, the body of Christ, the church. There's a great book you ought to read. It's called The Worldly Church. This is important stuff. Bear with me. This has to do with setting your mind, keeping your mind on the things above, setting your mind on the things above. Because you've got a little piece of red tape in all of eternity. And that red tape is going to determine the role of God in your life and how it is portrayed in your life. And what's happening in the body of Christ, these guys, they keep these records. You know, and some of you here will relate to this, that if you were raised in the church in the body of Christ and you went off to college, you probably maybe quit going to church for a while. And the Bible says, raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, and when they grow older, they won't depart from it. And so, uh, then you get married. 
and you have kids. And I watched this. I've been doing this for 35 years. I watched this happen. Those young couples that are getting married and having kids, they're coming back to church. They were raised in the admonition of the Lord, and now they're, they aren't just Easter Christmas Christians come 10, 15 times a year. They come into church. Mom and dad had them in church. But they leave for a little while, then they come back. One of the things that's happening now that is not happening, or that's happening that's not happening now, those young couples aren't coming back. Huh? What? And it, and it has to do with the heavenly, the above and the beneath. Please listen. It's become pandemic. This is a real pandemic. Do you know that in 2000, 22 years ago, I'm going to get real personal here, and this is not meant to point a finger at anybody. This is a challenge for you. That the number, number of middle class and upper middle class, uh, well, I'm not going to say white folks, but that is the financial demographic, and it could be anybody, kids that were participating in extracurricular activities. For instance, could be any number of things, select sports. The percentage was just incredibly low. 22 years ago. It, do you have any idea? Google how many middle school, high school kids are participating in select sports. Do you? You ought to Google it. It'd blow your mind. It's in the millions. 22 years ago, it would have been in the tens of thousands. Now hear me. What's going on? What's going on? Things above, things below. What's important? What do you treasure? What you don't treasure? Because parents, you're teaching your children what to treasure. You are teaching your children what to treasure. Go back to that red tape. Where do you want them to spend eternity? Where do you want to spend eternity? You are responsible for your attitude. You are responsible for what you set your mind on. And God says, I ain't got no use for anybody that's lukewarm. You're either hot or you're cold. I, I don't have, Jesus Christ has no need for casual Christianity. Part-time Christianity. None whatsoever. And so, it's prevalent. And parents have sold their treasures, revealed their treasures. And, and you know in Abilene, Texas, for 14 years I preached there, and they would never, ever, ever, never, in fact, they were proud of it. They cannot be proud of it anymore. They would never have any sports activities with the public school systems on a Wednesday. Connie Chung came to Abilene years and years ago and said that over 100,000 people, over 100,000 people in the city of Abilene, over 30,000 would be in church on Sunday. Not anymore. But, but the public school systems wouldn't hold a sporting or any kind of activity on a Wednesday night because it was church. It's not, not anymore. They got middle school football games. They got everything in the world. Hear me. This is important. I don't. I expect that from the world. 
Why wouldn't you? It's the flesh. But what about those that have been raised with Christ? What have you set your mind on? Are you treasuring the things above? Are you treasuring something else? Or are you balancing it? This is a question that has to be answered. Now, listen, hey, I know that God can be honored in anything. And then Paul would say to the Colossians later on, whatever you do in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that a person can be involved in these things, and, and Christ can be honored in that. I, I know that there are men and women who, who commit their things to an activity in their life. Tim Tebow was on. I knew Larry Peabody, world champion saddle bronc rider. Those people were doing everything that they did, and you can see it and believe it, and you'll see the fruit of it. They were honoring God. So, church, I got to set this thing short. I, there's a challenge. When I read this verse, I am reminded that you and I have been called to seek the things above, set our minds on the things above. And you know, we say we love our children. And I'm sure you do. You and I do not love our children as much as the Lord does. The Lord loves your children and my children more than, than you do. It's a heavy word this morning. Paul intended for it to be a heavy word to the Colossians. He intended that. And time is of the essence, folks. It truly is. And so the challenge that was issued to us in the Scripture is examine yourself. Examine your marriage. Are you uh, seeking the things that are above, setting your mind with your marriage? How about your friendships? And you want to see how difficult it really is? Moses wrote to the children. He said, you're supposed to be holy because God has made you. He's, he's, you're a holy people. You be holy. Jesus described that on the Sermon on the Mount. You know what he said? You, wanna, you know why? He said, this is putting your mind on the things above. This is seeking the things above. We can quote a lot of verses from the Sermon on the Mount. You should know this one. He said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Because that's how you become holy before God. There's so many things here. But when we've been told to keep our mind on the things above, set our mind on the things above, it's, this is it. We don't get to play. The man who has set his, his mind, when he was on the cross, where was his mind? It was on his father's will. When he was on the cross, what was he seeking? What was he setting his mind on? You can see it in his death and you can hear it in his words. He was loving his enemies. Everybody in that crowd was an enemy of his. And he was loving his enemies. Even the apostles were cowards. I would say the only enemy that he didn't have in that crowd would have been his mother. 
I really believe that. I don't believe she was afraid. Mary had set her mind on the things above, and that's why God chose her to be the mother of the living God for his son. She sought her whole life things of above. But other than Mary, I think everybody around him was a coward and an enemy, weak, sinful, and he just loved us. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. That's how you set your mind on the things above. That's how you keep your mind on the things above. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the reminder that uh, we are indeed responsible for the things that we think about. We are indeed are responsible for the things that, uh, that we seek. We indeed are responsible for the things that we treasure. And Father, you know our conflict, that our conflict is with our flesh. Our flesh treasures the wrong things. Our flesh seeks the wrong things. Our flesh wants the wrong things. And so, Father, we pray that as you have given, you've given us your Holy Spirit, that you would renew our mind, you would fill our mind and our heart and our spirit with the things above because you indeed, Father, you and you alone can raise us up with your son. And so, Father, as you, is ra have, you have raised us up, Father, we pray that you keep us. And, Father, we pray these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior and your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing When I Look Into Your Holiness on page 649.